away from up top. Are we good? Not a shout out, shout out, shout out, different kind of shout, sorry. Um, we're in Philippians right now. And being start, we started this series last Sunday. And to start off, I want to show you this video clip from the movie Braveheart. Now, I have to say that in thinking about this clip uh, yesterday and this morning, I realized, holy cow, this, this is like one of my favorite movies of all time. This movie's 25 years old. And so I realized that me talking to a lot of you about this movie is like my parents when I was in college talking about The Godfather. So, um, but they're both great movies, so what's the problem with that? Um, and so they had like a little uh, existential age moment there, but hey, that's kind of flows with the theme of what we're talking about. Um, and so in that, there's a scene toward the end of the movie where William Wallace, the main character, is basically given this choice um, about his life. And so I want to show you this clip to get started. Sir, I come to beg you to confess all and swear allegiance to the king that he might show you mercy. Will you show mercy to my country? Mercy is to die quickly, perhaps even live in a tower. In time, who knows what can happen? If you cannot believe. If I swear to him, then all that I am is dead already. It will be awful. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. Every man dies, not every man really lives. It's one of those iconic movie lines. Uh, it may bring an eye roll to some, but it also inspires others to ponder the reality of how they're going about their day-to-day. And we all face these moments in life, whether we realize it or not or want to admit it or not. We have these moments where we think about the life that we're living. Not because a king is threatening to have you put to death. Hopefully not, I'm assuming not. It may come actually from a book or a a book that you read or a movie that you watched. Maybe you went on a trip someplace. Maybe a unique experience in a different place or, or maybe a tragic experience that you've gone through. But we come to these almost existential moments. Uh, crisis for some, opportunities for others, where we think through the people that we are. We think through how we're living. Where we ask if we're really living we face these moments where we think through the people that we're becoming. And in many ways, the next part of Philippians that we're getting into this morning, Paul is bringing us to a similar moment. He's taking us to a a similar place where we ask ourselves, who are we and how are we really living? We started this new series last week called Becoming. Who am I? Where is God and what is he doing? These core questions that we ask in life. Both are are rooted in the theme, the concept of identity. 
which is one of the most important things that we need to understand as people who follow Jesus, or really everyone. And it's one of the central ideas in this letter. We said that the key verse in Philippians is Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is always working. God is always working on the people and the community that we are becoming. He's working on who we are in every situation that we find ourselves in. And so if God is always working on me, then here's the thing I need to think about. Am I working with him or against him? If God is always working on me, am I working with him or against him? If God is working on the person that I am becoming, am I striving to be that person? Or am I working to do something else? In this next section, Paul reflects on his own life and then he speaks strongly into the church and who they are. And he calls us to think about the people that we are, the lives that we live. Are you truly living? And so as we look at this next section, we need to be praying to Jesus through it. Jesus, help me to become more like you. Jesus, help us to be the people you are working on us to become. That's the central idea that I see in this next section. That is our big prayer for today. Jesus, help me to be the person that you are working on to become. And so before we get into this section, let's pray and ask that God would speak to us as he does that. God, we do come before you and on even a cold Chicago morning, we see the beauty in creation. We see the, the, the majesty by which you have made this world and us within it. Your power, God, your might. We acknowledge your wisdom, your love, your grace, and your mercy. God, we come before you, whether we're sitting in pews, sitting on a couch, sitting at a kitchen table, wherever it is, God, whether, whether we're sitting here or watching through a screen, we come before you as a church family acknowledging the God that you are and acknowledging that you are working, working on us. And so I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. I pray, God, that you would help us to be honest with ourselves, that you would help us to be honest with you, I pray, God, that you would remove distractions that can prevent us from hearing you, that can cause us to question who you are even. God, I pray that you would speak powerfully through your word, that you would say exactly the things that we need to hear. It's in your name we pray, amen. Jesus, help us to be the people that you are working on us to become. The section that we're going to look at today begins in the second half of verse 18, and it starts off like this. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through the prayers and God, through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This is a mention of Paul's imprisonment. Remember, we talked about this last week. Paul isn't writing this from vacation, 
He's a prisoner. His life is not going as he would want it to be. This is not how he'd want things to turn out. This is not the place that he wants to be in. Can you relate to that reality at all? Not that we're in prison, but the idea that life isn't going as it should be. I find myself in a situation where I feel sometimes trapped, alone, confused, wondering what's going to happen. It kind of sounds a little bit about some things we can relate to in our current circumstances. And so Paul says that within it, he will continue to rejoice. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. In the midst of all that he's going through, the thing that is on his mind, the thing that he's concerned with, is that he would not live in such a way to embarrass Jesus. The thing he's concerned with is, I don't want to do anything stupid that's going to make Jesus look bad. I pray that I would not do anything that would be, I would be ashamed of. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. I hope that nothing I'd say or would, uh, nothing I would do would disgrace him. That no one would think less of Jesus because of what they see in me. When I read this, I think about Peter right after the crucifixion of Jesus when different people came up to him and asking him, do you know him? And one young woman comes up to him and says in Matthew 26, when Peter went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to him, said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter denied it again with an oath saying, I don't know the man. I've always thought, how did that young woman walk away thinking about Jesus? after what Peter said. After everything Peter had seen and everything Peter experienced walking with Jesus, Peter turns into the cowardly lion. He's supposed to be something else, but he gets weak, he gets fearful, he gets cowardly, and he can't speak up for what's true in that moment. And how he acted and how he talked, he should have been ashamed of. And Paul is saying, I don't want to be like that. Paul doesn't want to embarrass Jesus. Paul wants courage to make Jesus famous, which acknowledges that some things will be very difficult. But what he's saying is, I want courage, boldness. I want complete openness to make Jesus known, regardless of how difficult the situation. We need to desire that same sense of courage asking Jesus to help us to be the people he is working on to be working on us to become means that we ask him give us boldness to be faithful in everything that we face this should be a prayer of ours as we follow Jesus every day regardless of what the situation is god give me boldness to be faithful to you in everything that i might go through Paul tells another church, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Some of those whatever you, don't, whatever you do moments are going to be really, really hard. 
Being open about the gospel might bring rejection or loss. Doing the right thing can create tension. Saying the right thing can create tension. In Peter's moment with the young woman, he became the cowardly lion. Your moment with a coworker, with a friend, with a neighbor, with a family member, with a fellow church member. Who are you going to be? We need to be we need the courage to be faithful to who God is growing us to be. Lord, give me boldness. In 1 Peter 3, it says, Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Hebrews 13, 6. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? And 2 Timothy, For the Spirit of God gives us, for the Spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. God, give me boldness. And what aspects of your life do you need to be more bold? And what relationships in your life do you need more courage? And what moments have you, this is where we have to be honest with ourselves. In what moments have we given in to compromise because of acting like the cowardly lion rather than being bold, faithful followers of Jesus. Now, being bold doesn't mean being a jerk. Having courage doesn't mean not caring about how we live or how we say things. But it does mean we're not going to cower. We're not going to be dishonest. We're not going to be unfaithful. We're going to be the people that he's making us to be. And so, God, give me boldness to be faithful in who I am and what I need to say, and what I need to do, regardless of the circumstance. The passage continues in verse 21, where Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul's, I mean, he's being very raw here and really honest. There are two options. I could die and be with Jesus, or I could stay here and live for Jesus. It really comes down to those two options. And what he says is, you know, dying and being with Jesus is way better for me personally. I like that option. That's actually the better option. But then he clarifies that the life of faith isn't about him. It's not about entirely what's best for him personally and what he can get out of it. It's about being a servant to others, which we're going to get into really in depth next week. But he says, it may be good for me to be with Jesus but it's necessary for me to be here serving Jesus. It isn't just about what's good for me. It's what's good for others. He says in verse 25, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, 
And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that though my being with you again, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. I am convinced that this is the best decision, he says. Being with you, being part of what God is doing, seeing you grow, that's the best decision. The decision to see you growing in Christ is the best decision. The decision to see you becoming bold with your faith, seeing that and being part of that, that's the best decision. The decision to to use how God is working on me to help and how he's working on you, that's the best decision. It's about that is what, there is no way, Paul says, that I'm gonna miss out on seeing what God is doing in your life and what's gonna come out of it for the kingdom. Asking Jesus to be the people he is working on means that we have to ask him to give us confidence to embrace the divine opportunities before us. We have to ask God, give me confidence Give me assurance to embrace the divine opportunities before, that you place before us. You know, a, a kid, I remember being younger and going to swimming pools. I remember my kids being younger and going to swimming pools. And there's that idea of going out onto a diving board for the first time. It is a little scary. Even the low dive seems like a high dive when you've never jumped off one of those things before. There's uncertainty of what will happen and if it'll be okay and it makes somebody really timid. You've seen that kid or maybe you've been that kid even in your 20s or 30s standing at the end of the thing and just kind of, I don't know if I, you know, and there's timidity about actually making the jump. But when somebody can be there and catch you, I remember jumping in, to my parents, jump, my kids jumping to me, that sense of uncertainty becomes an exciting experience because they're jumping to me and that builds confidence. Once they try it a few times, it starts building even more confidence to where pretty soon they're cannonballing into the water all on their own. We cannot be timid about jumping into what God has called us to do. If God has called you to be a certain person, to be part of certain things, you cannot be timid about that. You need to trust the Father and cannonball into his will. You need to trust what he has put before you. And God's plans for getting the good news out about Jesus is for him to use us. Not just people in my position, All of us, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, God's plan A and there's no plan B to let the world know about him is all of us. It says in 2 Corinthians, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Jesus told his followers before he ascended, he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He's telling people who follow him these things. He's not just telling church leaders, he's telling followers. People who follow me, go make new people who follow me. People who follow me, go and tell others about the cross and about being reconciled back to God and the life that he has for people. 
God's plan for growing the church to be more like Jesus is to use his followers for that. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, now to each one, of, each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In 1 Peter 4, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in, in its various forms. He's not just talking to, to the church leadership here. He's talking to the church. All the people who follow Jesus have been empowered and gifted to serve the church, to help build the church, to help grow the church. That's God's plan A. Whether it's sharing the good news outside or growing people on the inside, these are not things that we can be wishy-washy about. These are not things just to be aspirational about. You were brought into a spiritual family, empowered with gifts by the Spirit, by which the gospel is proclaimed and shown. God wanting to use us to let people see and hear about him. And so in that, we have to be confident about those truths. That's, that's what it means to follow Jesus, is to let people outside this place know about him and to help one another inside this place grow in him. That's, that's what it means to follow him. This is something that you are a part of, and it's amazing that God entrusts us with that, but he does. He puts this on this phenomenal mission are you confident in that? Are you sure of that? Is that just stuff you might hear and hear every once in a while? Or is it ingrained in who you are that you, God has trusted me to be a part of what he's doing. God has empowered me to be a part of a church. God has put me into a community to let people know about Jesus that is not, you are not time capsules that God's placed you someplace and then maybe later on down the road somebody will open up that and hear about Jesus. No, it's happening right now. Are you confident in that? Because the amount of confidence that we have in that reality is seen in the reality of how we live. If we truly believe these things, it will come out in how we live. And we need to have confidence in this fact. And so you have to ask yourself, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus, are you living timidly or confidently? Are you living casually or confidently? I think that there's also something we have to challenge ourselves here with in regard to the decisions that we make. Is my first and foremost concern about being part of what God is doing is that what I'm concerned with or being comfortable? Am I concerned with being used by God or by having a better physician, bigger paycheck, bigger title, whatever that might be? Is, am I concerned with being part of spreading the gospel or being part of a safe, cushy community? When we start using language like, well, there's churches everywhere, I can do things for God everywhere, we have to be honest that maybe we're putting our agendas first and tacking God onto them. What is God calling you to? And he is looking for us to be faithful to him now. Not waiting, now. What opportunities are there inside the church that you are missing out on? 
What opportunities are there outside the church that you are missing out on? Not waiting for even for somebody else to invite you into it or to ask you to be a part of it, for to plan something. You are a, if you are a follower of Jesus, then be a confident, cannonballing into the will of God follower of Jesus wherever he has placed you. Not waiting to be that person, being that person, because you are confident that God knows what he's doing. And so he has given you gifts. He's given you, he has put you in a place. He has put you in a community. He has put you in a neighborhood. And you need to do something there. So what does that look like for you? And can I just challenge you? Be excited about that a little bit. Dream about that. What could happen? Because it isn't like, oh, no. God, creator of all of it, the one who redeems us into a relationship with him, the one who empowers us with gifts and dwells us with the spirit, is saying, I have given you the ministry of reconciliation. I have put you in a place to help grow a body for their common good. What could you be excited about that with? If you were confident in the truth of that, what could that come out of? What could come out of you? Be excited and dream a little bit. God, what can I do? What can I be a part of? What do you have for me? Again, not waiting for just us to plan stuff and not waiting for somebody to invite you into something. God, what can we do? What can I do? Give us confidence to embrace the divine opportunities before us. You have opportunity. If you are breathing and you love Jesus, then he wants to use you right now where you're at. And so be faithful to that now. Not that we don't aspire to future things and not that we're not looking to all those, but right now, where he has you, God is looking to use you. And don't miss those current opportunities. Don't miss what God is doing and wants to do through your life whether it's at your job, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your building, wherever it might be. But God wants to use you. And so be confident in that. Yeah, but, yeah, no, 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 don't, don't put confidence in you. Put confidence in him. And then dream about that. God, what do you have for me? Then the last part that we're gonna look at today starts in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I said last week that uh, Philippians 1.6 is the key verse of Philippians. I think that we need to tack this verse on with that. If you were going to memorize any two verses out of Philippians, it should be Philippians 1.6, I am confident that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And the other one is, so then, if he's working, then conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He is working, so be the person that he's working on. And so this verse is also so important in this letter. Whatever happens, whatever situation that you're in, whether it's 
the biggest mountain or the lowest valley imaginable. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, we definitely have a lost in translation moment here. The phrase conduct yourself doesn't totally get across the main idea of the original. A better way of putting it would be live as citizens. Live as citizens. Whatever happens, live as citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's playing into their dual realities here, being part of Rome by earthly citizenship, part of the kingdom by being brought into it as the people of Christ. Live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Scholar Gordon Fee summarizes Paul's point here by saying, live in the Roman colony of Philippi as worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. Live in the Roman colony of Philippi as your worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. Now translate that to our reality. Live in the USA, live in Chicago, live in this country as worthy citizens of your heavenly homeland. Live worthy, live suitable to the gospel of Jesus. I think of Jesus' own words in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 where he says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine in a dark, dark place. Let the who Jesus is be lit up wherever you're at, that you would live worthy of the gospel, worthy of the grace, the love, the justice of the gospel coming through your life. Nothing can be more appropriate in our times than this message, that we would live worthy of Jesus in this place. As I've said many times before, we have focused so much on what it means to be Republican or what it means to be Democrat, what it means to be conservative or what it means to be liberal, that we have forgotten to ask first and foremost, what does it mean to be biblical? What does it mean to be faithful to Jesus? And being faithful to Jesus is going to make all other categories uncomfortable. We have to ask ourselves first and foremost, because being faithful to Jesus is not synonymous perfectly with any of the other categories we can come up with. And that is the misconception and the problem in the church today is the equating of being a gospel person with one of the other categories. And that is called idolatry. Jesus alone gets our identity, our allegiance, and our lives. And so we have to ask ourselves to, that we are, am I being faithful to him? Because if you're truly being faithful to him, that's going to push back on every aspect of our culture. To proclaim the gospel and to live the gospel is to go against cultural values. And that includes ideologies which try to hijack the church as their own. Am I living worthy of Jesus? Am I living a life suitable to who he is? That's his point here. He goes on, then what, what, whether I come and see you 
whether I could actually come and see you, church in Philippi, or if I only hear about you while I'm gone, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. If I know, going back to that first part in verse 27, I know that you will stand firm in the one spirit, whether I'm with you or whether I'm not. If I, if I know that you're going to live as kingdom people, worthy of Jesus, if I know that that's what you're committed to, then I'm not going to feel the need to babysit you. If I know that you are going to be focused on this, committed to this, then I can be away from you and not feel like I need to babysit you. We definitely have been in that stage of parenting with our kids at 11 and 14, especially with my daughter where, hey, can, can we go walk over here by ourselves? Can me and my friend go and do this? Can we go? And wanting to go, basically not wanting to have mom and dad around which we all get to that point. And so, but that's one of the things that we've talked about is that if, you, if I'm going to allow you to go and do this without me, I need to trust that you're going to make dis- good decisions and be the person that you tell me that you are. And so there's an is- issue of trust here. I need to know that you're going to be this type of a person even if I'm not around. And this is what Paul is getting at. I need to know that you're always striving to stand firm on your convictions of who Jesus is and who you are in him. And that's the last thing. For God, help me to be the person that you are working on me to become. Then give me passion to live my kingdom citizenship with strong conviction. Give me a passion to live my kingdom citizenship with strong conviction. We need to have a resolve and a determination to stand firm in Christ. In sports, the phrase is used, plant your feet. Get into that athletic stance. Don't just stand there. Don't just make it where you can be easily pushed over. Stand strong. Be immovable. Be, have a base that you can move from. This is what Paul is telling us. As kingdom people, plant your feet. Get into a Jesus stance. Get where you're not going to be pushed over, but you're firm on the reality of who he is. In other places, he says, 2 Thessalonians 2, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Hold on tightly to what you know is true. In Colossians 2, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. It may be a difficult situation, but stand firm. Plant your feet. Other people who love Jesus may or may not be around, but you stand firm. Other people might not like hearing the truth of the gospel, but we stand firm. Other people might reject us for our love for Jesus, but we have to stand firm. Plant your feet on the truth of the scriptures.
Plant your feet on the reality of your identity in Jesus. Plant your feet in the family of faith that he has placed you in. Plant your feet and stand firm together in your faith. What situation do you find yourself in? Are you just kind of haphazardly going through that? As the attacks come, as the difficulties are there, as it feels overwhelming, are you standing firm, holding tight to the truth of Jesus? Because you cannot give up. It is difficult. It is discouraging. It is hard to be the people that God wants us to be. In some situations, it's hard. Over a long period of time, sometimes some things are tiring and we just feel like we want to give up. Don't give up. Hold tight to the reality of Jesus. Allow people to come around you and encourage you and bolster you up, but don't give up. Remember the truth of the gospel. Remember the truth of who you are in him. We have to stand firm. We have to have passion about who we are in Christ and our conviction within him. And so what's the thing that you've been going through that you've been a little on the wishy-washy side? Have you been trying to learn and understand and grow in the truth of who Jesus is and who you are in him? Because if you're passionate about something, you're going to hunger for it. If you're passionate about something, it's going to consume you. So can you describe your faith as passionate right now? And if you feel like it's not, well, then don't use that as an excuse to bail. Be honest about the things that need to be worked on and work on those things. Be honest about the things that aren't as they should be and get help to fix those things. But get to a place where you can experience and know the reality of the grace of God again and tune with the truth of who he is so that you can be impassioned with following him. Passion doesn't necessarily mean loud volume, but there's a hunger. Do you have that desire for Jesus? What is blocking that? What false information, what false, what situations are you tired of? What, what's going on? Don't just allow that, don't, don't avoid addressing that and allow whatever it is just to move and dissipate your faith to read us, ah, forget it. Turn that corner, get help, pursue Christ, allow others to speak truth in your life and encourage you, but you have to get back to that passionate place of following Jesus. Jesus, help us to be the people that you are working on us to become. Give us boldness to be faithful in everything that we face. Give us confidence to embrace the divine opportunities before us. Give us passion to live our kingdom citizenship with strong conviction. There's a lot of people going through life right now. There's a lot of people going through the church right now. But not everybody is truly living for Jesus. May we be a church that is passionate in our faith, that is confident in our faith, that is bold in our faith. But that's only going to come if we realize and acknowledge God is working on me.
And I want to work with him, not against him. God, what does it look like for me to surrender? What does it look like for me to just be one with you? What does it look like for me to grow? What does it look like for me to be part of this family, even if it's from a distance? What does it look like for me to share with others? That, that's the place that we're in right now. 11 months into this, 11 months of church being difficult, this is the thing, the kick in the butt that we all need. I need it and you all need it. It's time to remember who we are in Christ. It's time to remember what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this world has seen so many people who have not been truly following him, that have embarrassed him. And so we can't correct all of the perceptions, but we can do what we can to be the people he's made us to be. And this situation sucks. There's just no other way to put it. It's not how we want it to be. But that's not an excuse to give up. Because he's put us into a community. He's put you around people that are in the same place that you're at. Maybe different details, but the same reality of it's hard, but Jesus is still working. And so we can't isolate ourselves and we can't give up. We have to start seeing the reality of who we are in Christ. The fact that he has empowered us and placed us in a community to show him and to grow in him. I, I pray that you are renewed in that reality. I pray that that does something in your spirit this morning. I pray that this would be a, a spiritual, existential moment where you ask, man, am I truly, am I doing this? And move toward him. Move toward him. And if you feel like you can't move toward him, then reach out to somebody and help, have them help put their arm around you and walk toward him with you. But don't give up. God is working on you where you are. And so move with him. Move toward him. Allow him to make you the person that's truly living. And you know what? If you're in here today, or you're watching today, and you've never put your faith in Christ. The truth of the matter is, there's a lot of people living right now. But you're only truly living if you're living with Jesus. There's a lot of that our world can offer us, whether it's within financial security, or prosperous, or even the idea of you're and be your own, you know, be, you're the one in, who's, in charge, all the type of things we go for security and to fill the ache and the needs in our hearts. But really the only thing that can fill that longing in our heart is Jesus. And maybe you've seen a, a, a bad picture of him. Maybe it's in past church experiences. Maybe it's headlines you've seen. And I, I can't make excuses for other people. All I can do is tell you, see Jesus for who he is. And, see, and look for communities where they're, they're not perfect, but they're trying. I'm, I'm telling you, we're not perfect, but we're trying to live Jesus here. And so you need to give Jesus a chance. Because the reality is it's only through putting your faith in him. It's only in trusting him and surrendering your life to him. The reality of his work on the cross, that our sins would be put on him. So his righteousness could be put on us. That our sins could be forgiven and we can be restored back to God. 
When that happens, that's when we're truly living. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can pursue and try and fight and hurt and whatever it is, nothing is going to give you what your heart longs for. And so I pray that that existential question hits you today as well. If you don't want Jesus, okay, but how is everything else you're you're reaching out to, what is that doing for your heart? And I guarantee at some point you're going to realize it's all going to fail you. It's not bad stuff. It just can't do for your heart what it longs for. And so you need to put your faith in Jesus. It doesn't mean all your questions about him are going to be answered. But the reality of who you are is going to be restored. And so you need to put your faith in him today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you pursue us, that you love us. We thank you for your death on the cross and the resurrection from the dead. We thank you, God, that you give us a life worth living. In the difficulties of this last year, the difficulties aren't dissipating. God, we acknowledge that you are working. We acknowledge that you are the giver of life. We acknowledge that you want to use us to tell other people about you, that you want to use us to care for one another and help us grow. And so God, forgive us for the times where we run from that rather than run to it. Forgive us for the times where we work against you rather than with you. God, if there's anyone who's listening today or here today that doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day that they find you. God, for those of us who are following you, God, I pray that today would be a day of reminder, of renewal, of honesty. God, I pray that you would ignite a a fire within us for you. God, help us to dream with you. Help us to see the opportunities that are before us. God, I pray that you would just work in our church. Help us to move toward that. It's in your name we pray, amen. We're gonna do this last song together and as we go through it, let it it be more than just a worship song right now. Let this be a moment of calling out to him, confessing to him, being grateful for who he is. Maybe it's an issue of even surrendering for the first time.